You know, there's perhaps no greater tragedy than that of a, a, of a life and its potential unrealized. Isn't that true? Maybe you, you, you look at somebody, uh, maybe somebody you love or know well, and they have abilities, they have opportunities, they have skills, education, and yet they just kind of float through life. They don't apply it. They don't use it for a variety of reasons, whether it's maybe lack of discipline or, or maybe fear or, or, or apathy, um, foolishness, pursuit of other things that aren't real healthy for them. It, it's frustrating when you see someone you care about because you want them to quote an army ad to be all that they can be, right? To be all that God has created them to be. If it's somebody that you don't know or don't know well, and you see they have all the, everything in the world handed to them, and they're ready to go, and they have it all together, and yet they, they squander it, you think, boy, if I had those opportunities, if I had those advantages, I wouldn't waste them. Ever felt that way? A, a couple of examples. I can think of a guy in my, my hometown, 5'9", incredible athlete. One of those guys, like one or two steps, he could dunk it two-handed. 5'9". Quick, coordinated. But yet his senior year, he did not play basketball. I'm not really sure why. Um, if he was a little into the party scene or if he just didn't like the hard work or, or, or whatever. But he chose not to use those abilities. And I remember thinking, boy, if I could jump like that, I wouldn't waste it. Another example. Every once in a while you hear something in the news about somebody who maybe has a Ph.D. from Harvard or Oxford or something like that. And. And for whatever reason, they become disillusioned with the world and they go and live in a hut on a beach or a cabin in the mountains. And rather than using their gifts to change the world, they simply withdraw from it. And we read that, we think, what happened? If I had a a brain like that, I wouldn't waste it. Or once in a while, you'll hear about a person who wins the lottery or a pro athlete who's made millions of dollars over the course of their career. And then we read that they're bankrupt, they're in debt, they spend it all, they use it foolishly, and we think, boy, give me a chance with that kind of money. I wouldn't waste it, but I'd put it to better use. But haven't we all at times in our lives squandered opportunities, underdeveloped talents or abilities? And when we do, haven't we often got frustrated with ourselves and we feel the sting of regret? Because there's a deep-seated need in each one of us to make a difference, to want to make an impact, to leave our mark on this world. We want to make our lives count. We want to be remembered for what we've done and who we were in this world. We want to make a difference. We want to be found faithful. In the passage that was just read a second ago from Matthew 25, it's one of Jesus' parables. And for my money, it's a very hard thing to hear. Jesus said a lot of hard things when he walked this earth, but this is, for my money, one of the harshest things he says. This guy has one talent or bag of gold. Uh, It's the same thing. A talent in those days was a a currency. He's been given it. You know, he doesn't increase what's been given, but he doesn't lose it, right? The principle is still there when the master returns. He basically treaded water. He didn't invest it wisely like the other two did, but... He doesn't lose it. Was it so terrible that he should have it taken from him? And then it says that he was thrown into the darkness where his only company is regret and remorse. He didn't run around and spend his talent on loose living. He wasn't the wisest investor. He didn't lose the principle. So what's going on here? 
What does this have to say to us about how to make our lives count? Before we get to some answers to that question, first we need to lift out an important point from this parable. I think it's good for us to have in mind. So again, there's the master's response to the servants with five and two talents. They bring their talents, their bags of gold, they've been doubled, and the master says what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's joy. You've been faithful with a few things. I want to put you in charge of many things. Which is true, how it works in life, right? If you're found faithful in a few things, you get more responsibility. So at work, if you work hard, you get a promotion, hopefully, you get more responsibility. If you're an athlete and you're at, at the end of a game and you perform well under pressure, what's going to happen? The coach is going to trust you. They're going to give you more playing time. You know, that's, that's how it works in, in the world. At, at home, you know, if you show your parents you can be trusted, you get what? You get more freedom. Maybe the curfew gets pushed back a little bit later. It's true in all things that if you're found faithful in a few things, you get put in charge of more things. You get more responsibility. Okay, we get how that works with these two servants with five and two talents, but what about the one with one? Well, I think perhaps what it's saying to us is that sometimes we're judged more harshly by what we don't do with what we have than what we do do with what we have. In this parable, that seems to be the case. The two are rewarded for what they do. The one is judged by what he doesn't do. The king, the master, gives him an opportunity to, to, to use his bag of gold, to use his talents, to invest it, to make a difference. He does nothing with it. He just kind of goes with the flow in life. Now, there's an important line to, uh, to draw here, a distinction to be made. Notice he is not judged because he doesn't produce like the other two. That wouldn't have been fair, right? Because it's not a level playing field. They don't start from the same place. One starts with five, one starts with two. He starts with one after all. He could not be expected, therefore, to produce ten and five talents, like, or four talents like the other two. He's judged because of what he does not do with what he's been given. And in this parable, Jesus seems to be telling us that we will be rewarded or judged according to what we do with what God has given us specifically. There's, there's a challenge to that, but there's also good news because we're, what it means is we are not judged in comparison to other people, which is great because there are people in this world who are way more talented, have more resources, and I could never measure up. But God does expect me and you to take the time, the talents, the treasures, the resources that he has given to us, he's entrusted to us, and to use them and to leverage them and to invest them for him and his purposes. We don't really have the option of just, of just treading water and and sitting by idly. Okay, now that we've made that point, let's move on to the question, how do we live our lives so we can have the greatest impact to make it count? First, there are five things, and they happen to be five basic purposes for every Christian, but also five purposes for our church. The first is we are to surrender our lives to Jesus. This is our purpose of worship. This is where we start. This is the key. Uh, everything is to be resourced in our personal relationship with Christ. It's called, the Bible calls it being in Christ. Romans 12, 1 describes it this way. Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, when, when somebody raises, waves a white flag, what does it mean, right? They're, they're giving up. They're surrendered. Everybody knows that internationally, no matter if you can't speak the language, you know you wave a white flag 
uh, you're surrendering. You're acknowledging that you're at the end of your rope and you're putting yourself under the control and care of the other side. You're trusting they're going to be fair and give you humane treatment, right? Now, now sometimes in military situations, our army will negotiate a conditional surrender where they get to dictate some of the terms about what will happen to them. But that's not how it works with God. The Bible describes it differently. The Bible tells us that God asks for our whole life, for an unconditional surrender, a trust in him, a care in him, an obedience of him. And that's obviously not easy to do, this unconditional surrender. Somebody once said, described it this way, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. I can relate to that. I mean, there are areas in my life I still struggle with giving over to God. I've got my own ideas or plans or priorities about an issue or, or something going on in my life. And, but I, I, I want to know God's peace. I, I want to know his joy. And that comes from trusting him and giving my life over to him unconditionally. Which leads us to the question, what are the things we might need to surrender? Perhaps a relationship that keeps us from following and obeying Christ. Or maybe a dream we have for the future that we know is not from God. Perhaps it's a a pattern or habit in our life that's pulling us away from Christ. Maybe it's our pride or bitterness or our possessions. But the first step in making our life count and being found faithful is is realizing that God's way is the best way and that our life and all we have and are is really a gift from him anyway, so we simply are called to give it back to him, to surrender our life to him. Next, Hebrews 10.25 states, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day, referring to Christ's return, approaching, which leads us to two, surround yourself with people who love Jesus. This is our purpose of Christian community. There's always been a classic debate um, about the, the role that environment and genetics play in the development of a, of a human personality, a human being. Which is most definitive? Is it nurture or is it, is it nature? Different studies have shown that both have a profound impact, certainly, but, but that proper nurturing can often overcome a difficult personality or, different, or difficult circumstances. Theologically, of course, the Bible tells us that we all, in a sense, have a difficult personality. It's called the sin nature. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is we all have a tendency to to want to do things our own way and to try and leave God out of the mix in our lives. But we're also told that with Jesus at the center of our lives, we can become somebody different. We can become a new creation. We can see transformation and change. We don't have to be stuck or defeated or, 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 or... in ruts or patterns that keep us down, we can be changed. And to see this happen, the Bible tells us it happens through prayer, it happens through God's Spirit, but it also happens through God speaking through the lives of people around us who love and follow Jesus. I think back to my days in college, uh, my freshman year, four or five guys who played that role in my life. And, we, and I played it for in their lives. We, we helped hold each other accountable. We helped encourage each other. Um, and it was so important for me to have those, those close friends around me. If we want to make our lives count, we must be intentional about developing relationships with people who love Jesus. Next, First John 2, 5 and 6. This is how we know we are in him, speaking about Jesus, 
Whoever claims, claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So thirdly, we are to spend our life living like Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. This is our purpose of discipleship or maturity in Christ. You see, God has created us to become like his son. We are his children. He wants to form his nature, his character, his priorities, his values, his attitudes in us so that we, in a sense, see and think and act and feel like Jesus did. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. What that means is God has created each one of us with a blueprint in mind, with a potential and end in mind from the moment we're born. And in the big picture, that blueprint is that we become more like Jesus Christ. But in, 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 the, in kind of the micro sense of it, we're all going to be a little bit different as we work out that plan in our lives. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, both godly people had a big impact in their ministries and their lives, but yet very different, Right. Jim Elliott, a well-known story about a guy who graduated from college, gifted athlete, gifted student, could have done anything, but heard God's call to missions and chose to go to the jungles of Ecuador where he was martyred as he shared the gospel. Before he left, when asked why he would do such a thing when he could do anything he wanted, he said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He surrendered his life and spend it becoming more like Jesus. And so if we want our lives to count, we must pursue Christ-likeness. You know, our our vision statement uh, in the short form is we are called to go deeper in Christ and further in mission. And the deeper in Christ certainly means, of course, we would like to grow numerically, but most importantly, we want to grow more spiritually mature. Deeper in Christ. It's also our goal for each person who walks through the doors. That each person would be growing more and more like Jesus Christ. Because that's what will bring most joy and the most fulfillment and the most peace in our lives. Because if you think about it, as we become more like Jesus, we become more of ourselves, more how God created us to be. Fourthly, we are to serve others as only we can. This is our purpose of ministry or using our gifts in ministry. To one, again the parable talents, to one he gave five talents or bags of gold to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Notice again the phrase, each according to his own ability. God has created each one of us with unique abilities, personality, desires, skills, and to truly make our lives count, we are to serve only as we can. Again, the second part of our church vision statement is to go further in mission. Our goal is to advance God's kingdom in our church and through our church in Salina, Sling County, Kansas, and around the world. We're called to go, to go outside the walls and to, and to serve, to comfort the hurting, to help the poor and oppressed, to do justice, to show mercy and kindness in keeping with Micah 6.8. He has showed you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And there's all sorts of ways we can do that. The rescue mission... Pregnancy Service Center, the Emergency Food Bank, mentoring at the city, tutoring in the schools, the Salvation Army, the Red Cross, on and on. And we can serve in the church, of course, ushering, teaching, working with kids or students, nursing home ministry, support ministry, connections to ministry, uh, prayer ministry, working on the building, on and on and on. Our goal for each person who walks through the door is that they go further in mission, that they find the place where they have been created by God 
to best serve. Think of it like baseball. I know uh, kids nowadays don't play with wooden bats, but when I was growing up, you played with a wood bat. I know once in a while there'll be a wood bat tournament. And, and if you played with a wooden bat, you know that there's something called the sweet spot. With every bat in the middle of the barrel towards the end, there's a, a place where if you make contact solidly with a pitch, the ball goes faster and further and straighter. I think it's the same way with people in service. That there's a place where your gifts in service will hit a need and the impact is greater than it would be if you serve somebody else somewhere else or somebody else served in your place. If you played with a wooden bat, you remember how great it was when you hit that ball, you just, it just felt right and the ball just took off. It felt easy, the swing. The ball just took off. And we want ministry to, to be a place that's life-giving and, and joyful because you're serving in your sweet spot. Fifth and finally, we are to seek to bring Jesus to others. This is our purpose of evangelism or mission. You may remember a few years back, there was a Mercedes-Benz TV commercial that showed one of their cars at high speed hitting a wall as in a safety test. And uh, there's a voiceover and somebody asked the company's spokesperson, why do you not enforce your patent on this energy-absorbing car body? A uh, design was obviously being um, uh, copied by other companies because of its success. And the spokesperson replied this way, because some things in life are too important not to share. We've been given incredible blessings through Jesus Christ. The gift of eternal life, the gift of help and strength during times of trial, the gift of guidance in times of decision, the gift of peace during times of sorrow, the gift of grace and forgiveness when we sin. There are some things that are much too important in life not to share. Jesus' last words on earth confirm this. Go and make disciples of all nations, he said. We are to seek to bring others to Jesus Christ. Author Randy Alcorn proposes the following uh, hypothetical situation. He says, imagine yourself in South Carolina. It's the year 1864. You see the tide of the Civil War turning towards the north. You know the south is going to lose. And you find yourself sitting on thousands and thousands of Confederate dollars. You know that the currency that is valued in your world and the South will in the near future be worthless. What do you do? Well, the wise person would keep just enough to take care of his family until the war was over. But he would be frantically exchanging most of his money for union money because he knows that is what will be needed and valued in the post-war world. You know, the currency of this world has limited value and its days are numbered. And if we want to make our lives count, if we want to be found faithful and make a difference, we need to be preparing for the new world that will be ushered in when Christ returns. As Jesus so vividly and powerfully tells us in the parable of the talents, we are to invest wisely our time, our resources, our opportunities, our abilities for his kingdom. We must never forget what is valued in God's kingdom to come. And so in closing, surrender your life to Jesus. Surround yourself with people who love Jesus. Spend your life living like Jesus. Serve others as only you can and seek to bring Jesus to others. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with so many things. We're grateful for the gift 
uh, and the opportunities and how you've created each one of us uniquely. Father, we want to be found faithful. We want to make a difference and see our lives count for eternity. And so, Lord, help us to to use our time, our talent, our treasures for your glory. May we be found faithful, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.